Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor and leader of the Psalmist Band Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now here's your host, DJ Payne. Hello and season's greetings. We're releasing this right in the middle of the uh, the Christmas New Year period, and it is episode 29 of Thrive Deeper. It's DJ Payne here for Matt and myself, and I uh, wanted to let you know that in this episode, we cover some questions about the book of Esther that we've just looked at. We go a little bit deeper in some of the more uh, tricky uh, territory, and then we head into back into Ezra, and we deal with a a very troubling area for a lot of people when we read it today is Ezra and his obsession with divorce. What is that all about? Well, we're going to get into that in episode 29. You're about to hear it. So sit back, relax, pop open that Bible and jot down some questions as we go. I'll be back at the end of the discussion to let you know how you could help us, especially during this time of giving at this time of year. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get into the discussion. Yeah, if I'm going to talk to I don't talk for anything less than while the recording's on. All right. Okay, we are doing episode 29. Um, recording this in middle of Christmas time. We are, just before. Yeah, and uh, Christmas time 2018. <sighs> Christmas almost upon us. It is. A couple of days away. Yeah. Are you ready? Uh, I, I, did, I don't do much of the getting ready for it. What do that's you my, do? What are you Kate responsible is, around for Christmas? General inspiration. <laughs> I don't know. You're not responsible for anything, are you? Uh, I'm, I'm present and, and available. Now you're pre- are you preaching? I know that I know I that am. I'm, I'm I'm on on Christmas Day. Yeah. Christmas Day preaching. Yeah. Christmas Eve. Uh, yeah, both both okay. services. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, same, same same service for both. Yeah, same. Pretty much the okay. same. Yeah. Nice. Both campuses. So that'll be good. Busy, busy. And then a bit of a break for me until late January, uh, and then I like so I'm on late January, and then I go over to Israel for. Couple of weeks, yeah. And um, when you say a bit of a break good. in January, you're, you're talking about your commitments to the yeah, church, uh, yeah, church, um, just from the preaching side of things. So, okay, yeah, fantastic. Uh, and then I heard a rumor that I know it's a long, long way away, but mm. I heard a rumor that later in 2019, uh, you've got a long service leave. Is this is this true? Uh, yeah, I'm, uh, we're looking at taking the kids over to Europe actually for a few weeks. What? What 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 are we going to do here? What's going on? <laughs> I don't know. We'll, we'll get ahead. <laughs> we'll have to we'll do some ahead. do yeah. some uh, recording. Or, you yeah. know, I'll get you on Skype from over yeah. in Europe. That's right. Taking the family over yeah. to Europe. What a what a what a world of luxury. Oh uh, yeah, I know. It feels like it. <laughs> how are we going to afford it? Anyway. Uh, dear. Okay. Now in the, in this episode, uh, we've got a bit to cover. Uh, you know, we've over the last week we've gotten back into the book of Ezra and we've finished mm. off. 
Esther. But there's been some questions pop up in uh, oh, from for Esther. For Esther. Oh, you know, okay. the last two right. weeks we've covered the book of Esther and we really yeah, flew have through. Have we not answered everyone's questions? Well, it's amazing, amazing that people have more questions. And we really did fly through uh, those, those two episodes of Esther, you know, because even rereading it again, I ended up rereading it again. I was like, man, there's so much more in this book yeah. that we didn't even cover. Yeah, it's great. But, uh, okay, so two, 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 two questions came Um about the two main women in the book, yeah. you know, the first one being Queen Vashti. Yeah, Queen Vashti. Yeah, yeah uh, some questions came out of Queen Vashti. Some people said, why did she refuse her king? Yeah. And what was she actually refusing? Yeah, well... Um, uh, so getting back I mean, to the story... King King Artaxerxes. Uh, no, King yeah, Xerxes. K- King Xerxes. Yeah, Xerxes the first is um, having this massive celebration. That's right. He's drunk with all of his friends, and he and- wants to get his trophy wife out to show her off in front of everyone. Um, she uh, Vashti, who actually we don't know of from because uh, we know a bit about um, uh, Xerxes from. Uh, you know, historical documentation yes. from the time. Uh, we don't know a Vashti, but um, it, it, it could have been a, a kind of a alternate name because, you know, names are a little fluid at, at this time and, and um, people are known by different names. Um, however, um, why did she uh, refuse? Uh, it's an in- Look, it seems like she's having a, a party, her own party, uh, not because she was banned necessarily because the women were banned from the yeah. the main party, um, which is curious because that, that that they they would do these things together. But it's already curious that she's having her own party alongside the king. So already there, there's like mm, that's a bit of an issue. What, you know, uh, she's having a little breakaway thing already going on there. So that may have something to do. You know, it's some it, it, it's some pride thing on her on her part okay. she doesn't well uh, and probably understandably she doesn't want to come out and yeah uh, denigrate herself before the king's drunk mates yeah well I, I read I read two things I went I went looking uh, for you know as I do down my rabbit rabbit trails for this mm. and like you say there's not a lot known I think uh, I read one that the the rabbinic you know the Jewish tradition mm. is that she was a daughter of uh the Babylonians she was she was like a, a trophy yeah. like like you yeah. say a trophy wife she was yeah. like you know the last you know he took her as a trophy from yeah. the last you know family yeah. dynasty and i thought that was interesting there's no historical proof for that at all but no. it sort of gives you a whole cult, you know the yeah. you know cultural thing but then the other the other one that i read was uh a little bit more you know based in historical facts and stuff like that and, and they were saying that it was common for these kings type of thing when he was saying bring the wife out to show they were saying some of the some of the writers were like, "Oh, this is parading around naked in front of like the you know there's a mm. whole you know level of degree you know sort of de- you know degradation mm. that we don't sort of see in the in the innocent way that we read it today." Uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe. I mean, it's it's hard to. I yeah. don't know where where you. Um, what what is it that you read? Like where do you get oh, this stuff? I find I find some great I mean, commentaries I'm, out there. Yeah, buddy. I'm reading proper peer reviewed scholarly <laughs> material, and and a lot of that sort of the material that I'm using is um, is a little more modest in uh, yes, and um, and so things like that, you know. Look, it it, it may be um, it may be the case, but certainly there's something. It seems like there's something that that is to that level of yes. degradation. Yes, yes. 
Yeah. You know, and uh, and so she's she is refusing that. In terms of, I, I think it's worth saying too. In terms of, um, you know, the traditional Jewish commentary um, on the Old Testament, of which there's a whole uh, body, you know, myriad. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 going back to ancient times, um, you know, that develops uh, over over time, and and uh, look, not a lot of it. Ha- I mean, it, I th- it's it's of interest, and some of it has some warrant, but it's tradition. It doesn't always have a lot of historical support yeah. uh, for it. But it is interesting because it shows how stories were regarded, you know, from that, uh, mm. from, the, from the earliest times. Um, but, yeah, there's all sorts of uh, interesting things, in, including because we're going to look in, at Ezra in a moment, you know, according to Jewish tradition, uh, to give you an example, you know, Ezra um, was kind of inspired by God to, to rewrite the whole law because it was lost at some point wow. uh, during the ex- and uh, you know in the destruction of Jerusalem, and then mm. he was inspired, uh, you know, according to this, according to one sort of stream of Jewish legend. I mean, it's, I think that's yeah. a little unlikely, uh, but th- that's the sort of thing that um, that pops that, up. That yeah, pops up. In, in Jewish and, and it was funny. And then I went as running through this whole Vashti universe. You know, there's uh, you know yeah. around the person. It's it, there's a whole um, string of uh, you know people who've taken her as a very like a feminist icon, yeah. you know, over the years, yeah. both Christian and non-Christian, right. you know, of all different walks, type yeah. of thing. Jewish and, and right. Gentile have gone. Oh, let's look. She's a feminist icon. You know, yeah. uh, she was because some some people believe you know she was actually martyred for the cause. You right. know, standing yeah. up to the husband. And I was like, man, alive! It's fascinating, fascinating. Just these well, little quite things. Quite validly, she doesn't want to be objectified yeah. and paraded around like you know, like that. So that's fair enough. Okay, so jumping to mm. the next question that came up uh, was about, and we really skimmed over this one. Listening back to it, I was like, did we even go touch on this one? We really skimmed over this part of the story. Uh, the whole campaign for a new wife for the mm. king. And Esther's role in that, yeah. uh, you know, being set aside for twelve months to be prepared, and then having one night with the king, yeah. and seeing who who is yeah. pleased the king the yeah. most. We really skimmed over that. Yeah, we did. Didn't we? <laughs> and a lot, and and people people were pretty much going, "Hang on, is this is the Bible sanctioning premarital sex? Is this a sexual relationship going on here? What's going on?" No, no, no. Hang on. The, the, well, the Bible isn't condoning this, anything here. This, this, this is, is the question. Okay. These are the questions. Because, gee, if you want to go there, then okay, let's look at everything that Xerxes, <laughs> yes. the Persian emperor, did, yeah, and yeah. let's do that. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Uh, actually. Um, and I think this is part of the point of, of the story because, again, one of the mistakes I think that's made about the book of Esther is it's treated like a kind of fairy tale, yes. like, oh, the king is looking for a new wife and it's like Cinderella or yeah. something like that. Well, uh, well, actually, no, it's not. And, and it's far, far actually from being romantic because um, basically uh, to find a wife, I mean, beautiful young women were basically abducted from all over the empire yeah. and taken into, locked up in the king's harem. And he was going to find her. Well, they didn't have any say in this, you know. So, so for Esther, this isn't a good thing. Oh, isn't this wonderful that this has happened to me? And she's she's a Jewish woman who would have wanted to stay with her people, practice her custom, uh, her customs, worship God. Instead, she is um, snatched off uh, into the harem of a pagan king. Uh, yeah. But this is the last thing uh, that that she wants. Um, so. The whole point of the story is how God works his perfect will mm. through otherwise really terrible things. I mean, it's a great um, 
a sort of uh, illustration of Romans 8.28, which says, And God works all things for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Because yeah. what you see is that Esther is, becomes a crucial part of God's purpose, being in the right place at the right time. But nevertheless, all of the things that are happening around her are terrible things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there is, there is this there's a three-year process um, yeah. where he selected these. So she's in, she's in this harem for a long time. She's... Uh, you know, she can't have contact with her family. Mordecai is her family. You notice he's always at the gates and she's having to send messages to him. Like Back she's, and forth. Yeah, she can't have contact with her yeah. own people. Yeah. I mean, she's locked away, you know. Yeah. So this is not a great situation. And yet um, life isn't just about us. It's about a bigger purpose. And, and her being where she was saved the Jewish people from complete genocide. Mm. Uh, talk about, and this is this story of Esther is a story about how God was faithful to His promises, but He is working all things for the good of those who love Him. Yeah. Uh, but it means that sometimes we find ourselves in tough situations, and we don't like it. But it's not life's not just about us; it's about what what we need to be for other people. And and this, I think, is the significance of this story. So I think it's a good example of don't look at everything that happens in the Bible as, as though this is an example to us of how yeah. we need to live our lives, right? Oh, he had a harem. Does that mean that we can <laughs> have lots of, you know, I mean, no. And, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, you could even apply that with Solomon yes. uh, where, you know, oh, well, Solomon had many. Well, yeah, yeah, but look what happened to him, you know. Yeah. I mean, the whole, you yeah. know, so... Um, you shouldn't read these stories aren't, um, you know, stories to, to illustrate to us how we should live our lives. No. The point of the biblical story is to, is to show how God is faithful through, in and through everything, even yeah. expressions of outright evil. And it's funny, when those questions came in, I, I sort of reread those parts again in Esther with a totally different look in my mind. Yeah. Like, again, I think I've been guilty of making it into some sort of, not so much a Sunday school story, yeah. but more of those classic 1950s, 60s films yeah, yeah. of like, oh, yeah, yeah, the exactly. Middle East, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. isn't this exciting? Yeah. You know, and these harems and stuff like that. And it's like, no, no, like, this is a, a, a girl abducted, yeah. a girl held held you know, against her will, who when the time is right, according to her keepers yeah you know because it goes on about the eunuchs yeah. who are keeping them yeah yeah and two different harems those who are in preparation to see yeah, the yeah. king yeah. and then once they've been had by the king and he's had their way with them they get moved into the yeah, other harem that's right. yeah. to see if they'll ever be called back again yeah it's unbelievable oh, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Yeah. and what and it, you and I, in my mind i sort of reread it as almost like a horror story yeah like a horror story that this young Innocent mm. is is taken before like this yeah. incredibly godlike character yeah. in 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 the scene, who was just wicked. You know, yeah. he's not he's not a great guy in the story, and the 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 miracle that I reread is and it sort of makes it a really big mm. point of saying, is that somehow Esther captured his heart. Mm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. whatever whatever that means. Mm. You know that somehow like it's that old yeah. thought again of God. You know, controlling the hearts of the kings, yeah, like yeah. you, you, you know, like I will, yeah. and, and 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 it's that That's part right. of the story. Yeah, she found favor in it, and and it's yeah, it, it is totally. It's, I mean, a similar situation. Remember the story of uh, Naaman the Syrian. You know that during yeah. the time of um, uh, Elijah or Elisha, is it? Uh, um, where he comes to Israel, he comes to Israel, and he, and he has this amazing experience of healing. Uh, do you remember how that? 
how that how he came to hear about from a slave from a slave girl yeah you know and so here is this amazing thing that happens you know where this foreign general has this encounter with the power of god mm. and it's through a girl who was taken as a slave you know and I mean, you see this, you know, you see this again and again. I mean, even in Christian history, they say that a lot of the Nordic countries actually were Christianized by the slaves that they took from Christian countries. Wow. That that's actually how the gospel spread into those areas. Mm. You know, it's, I mean, and, and, and it's, not to, it's not to downplay how bad, you know, the enslavement and the abductions and including this situation in Esther. It's not to underscore how bad. In fact, the, the you know, the... Um, badness of the situation highlights the totally. there's truth that in and through all things God works out his perfect purpose paradoxically you know? yeah um, I think there's a really profound lesson in that oh the, you know? the, the I cannot tell you this week how much yeah God is the last couple yeah. of weeks and a story I have yeah. read a thousand oh. times you know give yeah. me a quiz I'll answer it I'll get hundred percent on the quiz yeah. and God's like dummy. Well, you know, you know like, I know. Is, yeah, me is, too. This me, is for you now. Yeah, this is, I mean, me too. I, 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 I seriously, I even bothered whether I would read this story because I know, to be honest. Same. <laughs> I thought, I'm like, what is going on? Like should again? I bother to read it again? Yeah. Because I knew it so well. And the thing, you know, the thing that stood out to me about the story of Esther was the hiddenness. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a rendering of Esther's name. I mean, you could mean Ishtar, but in a, in a sort of Hebrew uh, rendering, I read somewhere, you know, it can be, I should have studied up on this uh, part uh, more with a little Hebrew that I did study. <laughs> but, um, you know, this idea of hiddenness. Yeah. And, and, and we talked about how, you know, the name of God is never mentioned. I mean, it's like, is God even in here? Yeah. And what, what highlighted, to, to, to me, I, I think I saw that really as an amazing literary technique. You know, the writer is actually, of, of Esther, is calling us to actively recognize where God clearly is at work because the outcome is the f- the fulfillment of so many of the strands of covenant totally. uh, pro- promise mm. in this story. I mean, it's amazing. The f- clearly God is, and yet it's, it's not obvious and evident. And, and I, and I guess what this has um, meant I mean, this is really how this has spoken to me, is that God doesn't just pop into my life in an interventionist way to when, when I when I it's no, he's involved in every aspect yes. of it, right? Yeah, all, yeah, yeah. He's involved all the time, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And and we can make a mistake of just saying, Oh, God's not involved in my life, because we're too busy looking for those massive, obvious acts, miraculous, yeah, yeah, obvious yeah. acts of divine intervention, you know. But God isn't an interventionist God, he's an ever present God. Yeah. And um, and it's it's actually uh, that has really impacted me that idea. I, I get too busy looking for real obvious, uh, um, I suppose, manifestations of God when clearly, you know, like with Mordecai at one point, he just knows God is going to be at work in this somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And he just assumes that that God is at work in the placement of Esther. It's like you need to assume that God is at work in your life, yeah. and like live according to that, like. Yeah. A trust in the providence of God. Nothing's out Look, of his, his yeah, control. Listen to what God is saying you through anything and everything yeah. that, that's happening, and from from, tune into from that. the uh, drunken, lustful heart yeah. of a, of a the king of the world, yeah. through to the to the rolling of a dice, yeah. 
in in the, the Purim ev- rolling yeah. of the Purim, yeah. the lots, but, yeah, and yeah. everything in between. God works through I've it. Got it. I've got it. I've got it under control. Absolutely, you know. So it's not just in the obvious things; it's in everything that God works. And you know, I think that's an amazing idea. You know that that you you know recognize that God is involved in everything, absolutely everything. Uh, that I think is a beautiful thought. To uh, Ezra, all right. Yeah, uh, we we've uh, this week we finished off Esther. Yeah. So like, meanwhile, yeah. Back in the, you know, <laughs> where you know, go to the west. Now, now um, some, there's something that I realised in 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 rereading everything and going through all the material uh, over the last couple of weeks that I've really taken away was that meanwhile back in Jerusalem. Yeah, that's right. That's the remnant. The majority of the Jewish people mm. were still living abroad. Yeah. They they were following what Jeremiah had told them to do. The, the prophet yeah. Jeremiah said, "Settle down in Babylon. Yeah. You're going to be there for a while. Yeah. Plant crops, M- make build yourself houses. home. Yeah. That's it. Establish yourselves." And they did. And they did, and, and prospered. I may say. Yeah, and did exactly. We're yeah. seeing what's happening with Esther, and you know, all, Mordecai, and everyone. Yeah. You know, yeah. the Jews all around in all these different provinces around the world. The Jews are spreading out. Meanwhile, this little remnant are going over there, and it's such a remnant mm. that we have a big point here in in Ezra is that when Ezra's finally on the on the scene and he's trying to get things going for the temple, mm. he's like, oh, "Guys, we don't have enough Levites on yeah. the scene. Yeah. <laughs> There's not enough people coming back, yeah, yeah. and he has to muster That's up right. more yeah. people to come back." Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He does I, have I, to do that. I, yeah. In my mind, I sort of had it the other way around. I was like, oh, yeah, all the Jews are wanting to go home. Yay. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah, because they've, I mean, we've just looked at the story of Esther. And of course, Mordecai becomes basically the second in charge yeah. over, over you know, Persia. And I mean, that this is, I mean, we saw that with Daniel. Um, both Ezra and Nehemiah uh, occupy really important positions, actually, in uh, in the Persian Empire, so you know the, the the Jewish people are doing quite well. This does um, stir up lots of anti-Semitism uh, at the same time. So it's it's kind of a polarizing situation. It's like God blesses them and blesses them, and they uh, ascend to positions of uh, great authority, and then you go you, we get these waves of uh, persecution uh, as well, as seems to have always been the case. It's still um, going on today, yeah, yeah. you know, and um, yeah, but. It's imp- it is important to recognise that it's just a remnant that comes back, yeah. and um, and this is where we pick up in uh, Ezra uh, chapter seven, which comes back. You know, meanwhile, back in the land, um, and of course, it's not as though I mean we- we've paused between chapter six and seven yeah. to go look at the book of Esther, and that's between the story of Zerubbabel, yeah. and Ezra. Yeah, that's right, because there's which a- is a big big gap. There is a big gap. So, so we we left the story with the completion of the temple, uh, which was in five fifteen BC, and uh, that's that's what, where we get to at the end of chapter six of Ezra. Chapter seven brings us to five forty eight BC. Um, so you're talking about a lapse of about fifty seven years yeah. between Ezra six and seven. We don't know what happens during this period. We don't have any information. I mean the 
only reference we have is from Ezra 4. Now, um, in Ezra 4, there's a, he's talking about opposition. And he, as an example of opposition, he, um, Ezra, uh, in, in Ezra chapter 4, the writer of Ezra gives us a, 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 an example of opposition by harking forwards, actually, to something that happens during this period okay. um, that isn't really recorded uh, anywhere else. It's alluded to, I, possibly. It's um, uh, behind here. Um, uh, but that's Ezra 4, 6, when, when uh, Artaxerxes, the, the governors of, the, of um, Samaria, mm-hmm. this area, they write back and say, hey, these guys are, you know, they look like they're getting, you know, building and, and Artaxerxes sends a letter back saying, stop them from building. Yep. So the temple has been built. But uh, this is as they look to start building their city. Yes. And this is one of the reasons why when Nehemiah gets there, they haven't done anything, partly because in that intervening period, they have tried to, they have started, but um, but this letter has come through, don't let them do that. And that actually may have meant that they tore down uh, what was, what had what they were building as okay. well, okay. Uh, the, the, the neighbours. So that's that's kind of something that you, you have to... Uh, put a few pieces together to get that. Yeah, um, because because the book of Ezra, obviously Ezra and the team who were putting together that book, yeah. originally one book with Nehemiah, the yeah. one whole story. Yeah. Chronological storytelling is not is not important. Yeah, so so there's a thematic thing in in those early chapters, like in Ezra four, where he's talking about the opposition to the building of the temple. Yeah. He then gives an opposition to the rebuilding of the walls. Yeah, that is actually before. The time of Nehemiah. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it, it, it uh, doesn't make sense. So, so that's the only really, that's the only thing we know yes. about that fifty-seven year period that they did. They tried to get going on rebuilding the, the city, the walls itself, but that was um, uh, uh, that was thrown out because of this um, edict from the king. Okay, which. Actually, as when we get into Nehemiah um, in next episode or whenever, th- that actually underscores the boldness of Nehemiah in asking, uh, yeah. in, in requesting from the king that he can go back and rebuild the walls because it's actually in opposition to a previous edict. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's quite a miracle uh, that he that that he's granted that wish. So, but anyway, that highlights something later on in in Nehemiah. Okay. So yeah. So so we we come to four fifty eight BC. This is when Ezra finally comes to uh, Jerusalem. As you said, um, Ezra and Nehemiah were originally considered one book. Mm. Uh, it was it's actually only in the Christian era that they have been treated uh, as separate books. Yes. And it's that they we, we don't know who wrote them really, but they're certainly. Uh, in terms of their final thing, but certainly Ezra and Nehemiah, there's large sections of that that are written in the first person yes. by both of these characters. Mm. So um, uh, Ezra comes to Jerusalem in um, the time of Artaxerxes, who ruled from 465 BC to 424 BC. Um, he, uh, Ezra, uh, has it, it has really um, uh, quite an important position. Uh, actually, he's. It looks like he's something comparable to a secretary of state for Jewish affairs, or something yeah, like that. You yeah. know, um, and so he's given uh, he is given the um, the task of going back to the city, and he's given quite a lot of uh, authority. Actually, when when he goes back, um, he uh, he's from uh, he's in Babylon. 
Nehemiah is going to come from Susa, which is further east. Yes. But Ezra is still uh, in, in Babylon. So, uh, so he's going to take, he's sent back uh, on this journey. At this point, the policy of Artaxerxes to, um, uh, and this is going to be the same under, Jeremiah, under Nehemiah, yes. to show this kind of favor um, is probably partly due to the fact that there, there, there's lots of activity going on in, in the empire, lots of threats, and he needs to secure the loyalty of certain elements of do, his empire. Do you think there's anything to do with uh, Mordecai and Esther being... Uh, I think it could be. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly could be. I mean, uh, in fact, I would assume it is yeah. uh, from that. Uh, but remember, that's in the previous generation. That's in the time of Xerxes. Yeah. Now, how... How long is Mordecai? Yes. In, we yeah. don't. We really don't know. No. So, but what we do know from history is that um, he's got lots of problems, international problems, and so you know, particularly down in Egypt, and he needs to secure the loyalty of the in between areas, and you know, the, this region of Samaria, which is actually the region that Judea was included in, is one of these regions. So, so this is why. Like providentially, and I, I emphasize that providentially, you know, the king is in a position where he needs to secure the loyalty of this um, of this Jewish people. Yeah. The fact that he would take notice of them uh, is evidence of the favor of God. I mean, because he's got Ezra and Nehemiah who are both in these official positions. Yes. Um, so, uh, and and he feels that he can trust them. I don't think he quite. The, the, the Samaritan governors down there, I'm not sure if he feels that he can really trust them, but he, he trusts Ezra and Nehemiah. Yeah. And so he sends them back to take control of this area. Mm. Um, and I think, again, that's, that's a testimony to, their, to the favor that they found in yeah. the king's eyes, the fact that they were seen as trustworthy. So basically, Artaxerxes with Ezra has, you know, and again, like you said, Ezra is in some sort of official position. He's yeah. some sort of expert expert on um, the Torah. He's an expert on the law. He's an expert on their customs and everything like that, on the Jewish way of life. Yeah. And so uh, he's he's sent back really to rebuild the yeah. community more than yeah. more than anything, to sort of rebuild their Jewishness yeah. in this time. Yeah, that's right. And um, he he's not happy when he gets there. No, he's not. He's not happy. <laughs> he's not happy when he gets there. So he um, he prepares. Uh, for this journey, he's equipped with a letter from the king. Uh, just to step back a little bit, there's, there's yeah. a few um, aspects to this letter. I mean, first of all, he authorizes any Jews who want to return to return. Yeah. Um, he's going to, he gives a significant royal grant towards the cost of sacrifices at the temple and other expenses. Um, Ezra, what we're going to see He's obviously given a lot of money, and Ezra wants to make really. A, he wants to ensure that we know that he he stewarded that money well, that he didn't just take that for himself. So there's lots about you know I entrusted it yeah. to these people, and then it yeah. was counted before, and then it was counted after. Yeah. I mean, he, he wants he wants everyone to know that he did the right he, thing. He kept here, all the receipts, and that this went where it was meant. Yeah, he kept yeah. all the receipts. That's right. <laughs> um, and uh, th there's. He, there's an order to return the articles of the temple um, that were still in Babylon, so there was still some there, and um, an order to the provincial treasurers empowering Ezra to claim other supplies, exemption from taxes. Um, 
And then, and this is an important one uh, because this is going to, this is important background for understanding how Ezra can come in with such a sense of authority. I mean, who's this guy that just turns up? Well, uh, he's empowered by the king to set up a judicial system with full powers of punishment. I mean, he's put in charge uh, uh, under the king. So he, um, he has full authority and yet... Uh, he he doesn't actually. What you see, the interesting thing about Ezra, when it comes to the what he has to face, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Yeah. He doesn't enforce his authority. The way that he wields his authority, full authority, give, like he has the power of life and death, yeah. basically, over the over, over Jerusalem. And yet the way that he chooses to um, exercise this authority is really interesting. So let's just shelve that. Yeah. Remember, uh, let, let, let's Put that to one that. side. Yeah. Yep. Um, remind me to come back to that because I'll um, forget that. So uh, Ezra chapter eight talks about how they assemble together um, uh, at this open place, and he realizes, well, there's no Levites here. We need to, like you said before. Yeah. Uh, so, not many people so have gone back. Yeah. yeah there's yeah. so few. So many have remained. Now the interesting thing is here is that the fact that they find uh, 220. Um, temple servants uh, that, that are not Levites but sort of extras to work there. Um, these may be uh, present servants of uh, Levites, but then there's all of these um, different people that they find um, that still identify themselves by their traditional roles, yeah. uh, which is really interesting. So it means that um, he goes looking for these families who are traditionally responsible for certain roles in the temple and he finds them yeah uh, which means that they 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 kept hold of their uh, of this identity yes. Levites were Levites and mm. di- Levites with different responsibilities held on to that uh, identity um, so he goes back uh, with all of these uh, people and he arrives in 457 BC and this is where he's uh, confronted with this issue the big it's a big uh, issue you know now, now remember, the fact that he can come back with leave, the fact that he can come back with anyone, uh, is due to the fact that the Jewish people in exile have kept themselves distinct. I mean, they wouldn't have existed as a people group. There wouldn't be anyone to come back and sort of pick up God's purpose where it left off yeah. if they had not kept themselves completely distinct. And at this stage, so they they are recognizing, man, distinctness from the nations around us is an absolutely vital aspect to us being the people of God, you know. And I add on top of that this this overwhelming sense of the previous generations got it wrong. They got got us exiled in the first place. That's right. The reason they went into exile in the first place is because previous generations mixed with the nations around them and took on the customs and so forth uh, of the nations around them and even intermarried. I mean, the big problem, of course, with Solomon and the writer of, uh, you know, the books of Kings wants us to see that all of the problems started with Solomon doing what, you know, uh, really all of the wives he had and in, in intermarrying uh, with his pagan women yep. and his heart was turned away. And it says in Deuteronomy 7, do not intermarry with them, do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. Now, I mean, in one sense, Solomon was marrying in a more international sense. Not, yes. But um, 
but the bad example is still is still there. So, mm-hmm. so you're right. It, the whole problem in the lead up was they're mixing too much, yeah. and and so they in in their exile they really get this point, and it's quite remarkable that as a people they remain so distinct yeah. in their exile. I mean, there are plenty. There there are plenty who would have assimilated. Well, and that's exactly what what Ezra is coming back to to the people who have who are living there, the people who are involved in the in this new establishment and everything like that. He's like, "Hang on, you guys have been marrying the local women around yeah, yeah. you." Yeah, so this is the this is the shock. So he yeah. he he gathers together all of these Levi, Levites and with all these various roles yeah. who still identify themselves by those roles. So they they have kept themselves, they've kept hold of their identity. Yeah, goes back. To Jerusalem, these are meant to. These guys are meant to be on the coal face of God's purpose, and he finds that they. It's like they've given up. Yeah, you know, because you know the building got thwarted and it's just a bit hard, and they've like lost sense of God's purpose, and they have intermarried with the people around them. And and I think this is the the first mistake in because a lot of people read, oh, what's the big deal with that? Of course there's a big deal with that because, you know, this is – they had survived as a people group because they hadn't, uh, because they hadn't done that. And, um, and so this is a really big issue. Now, um, uh, we, one thing that's – another important thing to point out is that Malachi is a contemporary of Ezra yeah. and, and Nehemiah. Um, Malachi mean, the prophet. Malachi the prophet, right? So he's ministering during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Yeah. Um, probably going a bit later. He's probably over, overlapping later. Yeah. But he, Malachi, um, actually talks about the fact that uh, the problem of divorce. Yeah. Because that that would seem to contradict uh, what happens. Because Ezra, what? Hang on, I'm, I'm mixing. T- I'm trying to say too much here. Let me just go back. So, <laughs> well, so what does Ezra do about yeah, it? Yeah, so, so let's let's just first of all summary yeah. before I because I'm rushing. There's too much yeah, yeah, good yeah. stuff to talk about. <laughs> um, so first of all, um, I talked about the way that Ezra goes about his leadership. Yeah, he realizes you've intermarried with these. I mean, what's the point? Like, if we do this, we're lost as a people group. Like, Already. it's finished. Yeah, it's completely finished. We need to keep our distinctness. It's not racism. It's 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 them uh, understanding that we need to keep our distinctness as as a people group. And uh, at this stage, intermarriage uh, is going to threaten that. Um, so he sits um, in in chapter ten. It's amazing. Uh, sorry, chapter nine and ten. You know, he when he finds out, he sits in the in, in the City Square, yeah. appalled, absolutely appalled at this, and yeah. and he, he's weeping and he's wearing sackcloth. It's a is a very public makes public declaration of mourning, mm. of repentance, mm. and everyone's you know I mean he's an important guy like he's the boss, yeah. and he draws everyone besides them beside him. I mean what like he doesn't just come down with a heavy hand. Which, which he had every right to do. Which he, he had, had every he, right to he do. He could make decrees. He could make judgments. He That's could make right. laws about it. Um, instead, he um, he sits there with his clothes torn and he prays to God publicly, and he confesses. Well, he confesses the sins of his people as though they were his. I yeah. mean, this is an interesting thing. There's no for these people. There's no separation between my sins and our sins. Yes. Like if you sin, that's my problem. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. In in at this time, and I think there's something really, uh, there's something in 
I think really valid about that idea because yeah. he says that that like for these people who are doing this, like you're going to mess it up for us all, right? Mm-hmm. Because God's purpose uh, depends on us remaining distinct. So, um, uh, so the people come up and they um, they they weep with him uh, and they join him in his act of repentance, and then they actually it says in uh, ten verse two then. Um, Shekaniah, son of Jael, one of the descendants of Elam, said to Ezra, We have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us, but in spite of this there is still hope for Israel. Now let us make a covenant before our God to send away all these women and their children in accordance with the counsel of my Lord and of those who fear the commands of our God. Let it be done according to the law. Uh, rise up in this matter. That This matter is in your hands. Okay, so he, Ezra actually doesn't even come up with this plan. This comes up. This comes from them. Yeah. And look, it's a bad thing to have to do. Uh, horrible. Uh, Especially in the light that Malachi, like getting back to it, we've got the prophet Malachi yeah. over here saying, hey, everybody, God hates divorce. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Don't, yeah. you know, like, don't yeah, come yeah. and, and God pray. God hates divorce, right. Don't pray to me. I'll say something about that in, in, in a sec. Yeah. But first of all, we don't need to take away from the fact this is a bad thing. Yeah. Again, it goes that, like what I was what saying before. Oh, so they did this. So that means it's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like, you know, I mean, uh, it's not a good thing that this should happen. It was not a good thing that they did that in the first place, but they created this mess and they came up with this solution, right? Yes. They came up with this solution. And it's a kind of functions a, as a necessary evil. Now, the, the principle of necessary evil is an important ethical idea because it's this idea when something bad is done, but it's like the best of some really bad options yeah. in that in that situation so um i think that's the first thing we don't need to look at this and say that this was a good thing um secondly sorry my computer's talking to me um and let's and so yes malachi uh, sort of bemoans divorce now now if you put these things together what seemed to be happening was that um these guys were divorcing their Jewish wives to marry pagan women. Ah, I'd never put the two and two together. uh, Yeah, because he talks about divorcing the wife uh, of your youth. Of your youth, yeah. And, um, you know, and this is, um, uh, so so there's a whole lot of mess going going on uh, here. Okay. And um, so... um, it is, you know, it's bad what needs to be done. And there's about, uh, it turns out there's about 110 uh, peop- people who did this. It's not thousands. There's yeah. 110 people who did that. But that's enough. This is a small community. Yeah. And these are leading peoples. Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, so this, this, is a, this is a serious kind of spiritual matter. And, and so, you know, the, the, these uh, women get sent back to their families in, with any children that they've got, with with any children that they've got, it's a tough situation. Yeah, it's Man. it's a it's a tough situation. Again, this is this is what they came up with. It's it's kind of this drastic um, thing. But notice that you know Ezra doesn't enforce this uh, on the people. The people themselves recognize that this is the the more preferable of the two evils. Yes, you know. So, okay. uh, so there's a comment from a commentary that I uh, pulled out here. It says, while we may not fully agree with the direction uh, in which 
the community was taking in terms of the divorce. So we may nevertheless learn from the manner in which by teaching patients an example, this is with Ezra, he was able to bring the people without coercion to make for themselves the decision he considered beneficial, mm. even though they might be painful in the short run. So, um, you know, Ezra is accepting this, okay, you've made such a mess here that, we, that we're going to have to do this really terrible thing to, pre- to prevent an even bigger, long, long-term mm. uh, mess. Um, now, if you don't think the sure, if you don't think the issues are serious, then you're not going to, um, you know, you're not going to accept this. Yeah. But the more serious you see the spiritual issues and the implications for the future of of God's covenant people and God's plans, the more we see the seriousness of that, the more we can say, okay, it was a really bad thing, but they'd made a mess of this. Okay. So there was no other. Way to go, really. Now we're running out of time here. We've got to wrap this episode up as we as we're talking about Ezra. As we finish off the book of Ezra, can I just say, bummer of an ending. Yeah, <laughs> like this is how Ezra finishes. Like, yeah, and the men went away, and these are the these are the men yeah, who had married. Yeah. Let's list them all. And the very, I think the last one, uh, each of these uh, sent away their wives, and some of them even had yeah. kids. And that was that. Yeah, luckily it's not the ending because I, remember I'm, it's one book. So. I know, and I'm like, <laughs> hang on, this yeah. is not. This is like, but it, we had a little bit of the, the same sort of vibe under Zerubbabel, where yeah. you know Zerubbabel, the, you know they come yeah. back. There's these great big things. It's the finish of a section, certainly the finishing of. And, and it's like section, yeah. you know he makes this decree, and yeah. they go and. That's sort of sad. And then the next guy turns up. I Yeah, I'm feeling a bit bummed out as we finish off Ezra. Yeah. I'm not, you know. And, and the question is, uh, again, to, to finish off, I mean, how does this apply? Like, I, I think it's worth thinking yeah. at, at, on that level. Now, it's interesting because obviously um, the, you know, the, the uh, ethnic thing like there is neither Jew nor Gentile under Christ, you know. So, so that that had a role for a little while, right? Yeah. But it was a temporary uh, thing. Um, uh, I, I still believe there's a there's a commitment that God has uh, to the Jewish people as as in, in accordance with His original everlasting covenant. But the the ethnic thing isn't the thing anymore. However, Paul does say in Second Corinthians six, "Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what do fellow what fellowship can light and darkness uh, have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever?" Uh, so he's this idea of um, uh, yoking yourself to someone whose walk is going in a complete life direction, that principle is still carried through from the Mosaic law into the New Testament. Um, however, I think it's also important because a lot of people say, what, what about, because in the early church, as is today, lots, lots of, for example, women were coming to faith whose partners weren't, yep. or men coming to faith. And um, Paul speaks to this in uh 1 Corinthians 7, and this is where this changes, and I think the change is beautiful. In, in the, It's like the, a new nuance to this law. He says, um, to, to the rest I say this, uh, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. Love it. Yeah, okay. Uh, and if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing, uh, and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband, get this, has been sanctified through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And uh, so, so I think this is uh, a really beautiful kind of development of this. You know, it's, it's, it's like this original principle that, that is a bit kind of harsh. It, it's like this gets redeemed in the New Testament law with this idea that, okay, uh, let's not be unequally yoked. Let's, let's not purposely yoke ourselves uh, to, to those who are going in a complete life. There's an obvious reason why that could be the case. And yet, you know what? Uh, it, it, as different people come to faith, um, the whole thing is turned around. Don't, uh, you know, that, that, that we can, that one p- part of that relationship is sanctified through the believing partner. Such a beautiful principle. And it is just covered in the kind of grace that the new covenant exudes. Well, I hope that helps in unlocking some of the uh, some of the troubling parts as we finish up the book of Ezra, especially when it comes to divorce. Uh, now, next week we get into Nehemiah. I cannot wait to get into this fascinating book with you all. And uh, we're uh, always looking for your questions. But seeing that it is the Christmas New Year break, you know what's a great thing to do while you've got a little bit of time? Heading over to iTunes and finding the Thrive Deeper podcast and giving us a five-star review. Believe it or not, this is a great way for others to find our podcast when you give it a review apple features it a bit more prominently in all of its algorithms and it does a lot does a lot and goes a long way to help us both seen by new listeners so there's my challenge to you as you wrap up 2018 looking forward to being with you next week on another episode of thrive deeper on behalf of matthew and the whole team thanks for listening Thank you so much for listening to Thrive Deeper. We value all our listening community. If you are on Facebook, search and like Thrive Today page to get all of our latest updates. Our home on the internet is at thrivetoday.net.au. There you can subscribe to the Thrive Daily Reading Guide and contact us directly. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time, thrive. Thrive.